Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Retail Rundown. I'm your host, as always, Julia Raymond Hare, and today we are joined by two guests, Eric Nykamp and Jay Klaumanser. Eric is the Chief Executive Officer of Range, a mobile marketing space helping brick and mortar turn visitors into digital customers. Jay is the Chief Executive Officer of Raise. It's a website and an app where shoppers can purchase discounted gift cards from over 4,000 brands. Eric and Jay, great to have both of you on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks for nice to be here. Great. And before we hopped on to record this, I read online, Jay, that prior to joining Raise, you were actually a vice president at a company a lot of us know and love, DoorDash. And I wanted to ask, did you see the news that they're, for the first time ever, advertising at the Super Bowl this year? I did see that. And I, I can't help but smile. Um, you know, I started DoorDash when there, we were only in a handful of cities. And just to see where it's come over the last several years has been really inspiring. And historically, they've basically taken market share. That's how they've won. And I'm sure over time, people started eating more at home with COVID. And I think this is a real good opportunity for them to really share their message of delivering good with as many eyeballs as possible. So I'm I'm really excited for them. That's great. Have you guys used DoorDash more Uber Eats, you think, over the past year than you have before? I have. Well, I started until I started gaining the COVID weight. So I pulled back on it and started eating healthy. But I'm in Chicago. DoorDash is fantastic here. Every single restaurant I could possibly want is on the platform. So I am exclusive with DoorDash. That's amazing. Yeah, I can't even talk about the COVID weight because I've been out of the boxing gym. I usually do that and hit, but it's been hard staying at home. I've considered the Peloton. I haven't bought it yet, but it's it's one of those things where you're like, gosh, I'm just stuck in the house all the time. You know? Yep, we do what we can. <laughs> we do what we can. <laughs> yeah, I actually, you know what I got recently was the mirror, which is, you did. How do you yeah, like? Yeah, it? it's I. I am absolutely a huge fan. I was a little nervous at first, but it really feels like you're taking a group class, and I love the the mirror. You can actually see your form and focus on it. And I just realized that doing exercises all this time, I was doing lots of them wrong. So it's been really fun. And they have a family one. So I have kids. And so you go to the family fun section and get the kids involved. So it's been a blast. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I've seen a lot of ads for Mirror and some of the other connected... Because Mirror is the one that... Lululemon purchased, I believe. That's right. Lululemon purchased them last year. Eric, you must be familiar since they're a flagship Canadian brand. Yes, absolutely. And DoorDash is also growing here exponentially. A lot of commercials are being always played. So it's really good. And um, the COVID wait for sure. But I have a (laughs) nine-year-old. So and we have a lot of snow. So shoveling... uh, (laughs) <laughs> Shoveling a lot of snow is always good exercise, so it's good. I'm not familiar with that being in Florida, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I prefer yours. It's fine. Yeah. The other brand we can expect ads from this year is Scott's miracle Grow, And Scott's miracle Grow actually ended up spending 20 to 25% more on advertising last year than it originally expected. And they announced plans to increase spending this year by another 15 to 20%. So What I find most interesting is how much these three brands we talked about reflect some of the shifts we've seen over the last year. And as we talked about with the pandemic, number one, the gig economy, the freelance economy, and number two, the fact that people like us are staying home and investing more of their time into their house and into home improvement projects, gardening projects. And I'd like to just take this opportunity to open the floor and see what you guys think about the gig economy and its relation and maybe impact on the retail industry. I'll jump in really quickly just because I'm very familiar with the strategy over at DoorDash. I think what we're seeing is, and it's been happening over the last decade with Amazon originally offering you know, free ground shipping, then they moved to two-day shipping, and now they have one-day shipping. And in some cities, they have a few hours shipping. You've got a consumer attitude that really wants things now. 
And I think the gig economy will play into that as more and more retailers turn on last mile delivery using companies like DoorDash, Postmates, et cetera. There's a Walgreens right across the street from me. And when it's too cold out, you bet that I pick delivery. And, um, <laughs> and so, you know, somebody from DoorDash goes and picks up what I need and brings it to my door. So I do think it's great all around. It's great for the gig economy workers because it's more time doing jobs equals more money in their pockets. It's great for the consumers because they can get things almost instantly. And it's great for the retailers who are able to combat the likes of Amazon who can get anything to you in just a day to be able to have it to somebody in 15 minutes or even an hour. So I think we're going to continue to see this trend this year as more and more retailers turn on last mile delivery at checkout. Last mile delivery is a huge one. Eric, what's your take? Well, because of COVID has come in, a lot of people have unfortunately lost their jobs, yet they have really good skill sets which they can employ still. And this gig economy and the different platforms that are available for them, I mean, you can find experts, you know, matter experts, skill sets within minutes to help you with your engagement. A lot of our customers and partners, they're trying on all of these different channels. They want to do everything to engage with their customers. They're trying to always find new customers, but now they can tap into additional people to help them get those numbers, which is really, really good. And also, since we're a software platform as well, sometimes you need to get some skill sets for the development side. The gig economy is really helping. I mean, it's been there for a very long time, but it was kind of really not always on the up and up. But all of these different platforms, they have these really good reviews and and tracking people and the work that they're doing. It kind of speeds everything up extremely fast. Mm -hmm. And Eric, just real quick, I want to add to that because you're focused on mobile marketing space and and brick and mortar. I see a lot about just in passing about text message marketing, making a comeback and things like that. Is that what you're seeing? Because I do, you know, if you look to China, they have WeChat communities. And once you join the community, they can send you mobile marketing messages. And it's really growing in a weird way. It's making a comeback, I think. Yeah, I don't think SMS was used properly uh, in the early days. One, it was extremely cost prohibitive. It was really expensive. Now it's really going down in price. But the one thing that we focus on and we always be mindful is not one person is ever the same. You might live off of Instagram. Another person might live off of Facebook. I know my parents live off of Facebook. But (laughs) There's so many different channels and platforms out there, but SMS cuts through every single one of them and it's always on your lock screen. So whether you want to capture new customers or to get new contacts into your database, which is extremely important these days to get that opt-in in your database and then you can do whatever you want or the ongoing engagement, the ongoing marketing, SMS has always been a, a really good channel to Not to be only on, not just to focus on SMS, but to have that in your toolkit for sure. Well, good stuff. There's some comments on the gig economy and also mobile marketing. And as we continue our conversation, I want to just bring up NRF. I spent two weeks with the Rethink Retail team covering their virtual big show this year, and it was abundantly clear that 2020 served as one big example of why retailers must be agile the true definition of agile. So Starbucks, for example, made news recently. Its data transparency efforts led to their current plan that they announced to grow today's 33,000 stores to 55,000 by 2030. An additional 22,000 stores in the next decade. And their plan is to continue developing experiences that address the evolving customer routines. And that's like new store formats, smaller formats. So 
I wanted to ask both of you if you have an example, and this is a bit of a, a buzzword in, in the business space, but some actionable insights that retailers can gain from their consumer and sales data. I don't even think that we are collecting enough data. There's a lot of information that we're capturing on the sale at the pause terminals, but I really don't think we're capturing enough. I do love all the analytics tools out there. I love all the predictive models that are out there to how to engage more customers and how to get that conversion to a sale. But I still think that one piece that most retailers, regardless of who they are, I still don't think that they're literally asking their new prospect or their new customer, what do you prefer? What do you like? Tell me what you like and I can customize content specifically for you. I can customize products specifically for you. I I still think this is a big lack. I mean, anyone that has signed up, I'm not going to name any retail brands that are out there, but if you sign up to any of their newsletters, no surprise, I'm a guy. I signed up to a retail brand. They obviously sell to both men and women, children. So they, they sell to everybody. Yet the emails that I always get is ads for female clothing. Um, I mean, it's great. I mean, it's fine, but obviously they don't know who I am. So there is a lot of data that's out there, but they still don't know who I am. So I still think there's a lot of work to get into personalization. Can it be a contest that's run? Can it be all these different marketing tools to get that data? I still think just a straight conversation or, you know, just while you're getting that opt-in to that person, continue asking some detailed questions. So that's just my take. I know there's tons of different things you can do with the current data, but I think there's a bigger issue that there's still data that's missing. So Eric, your take, you said, I I don't think we're collecting enough data. You love the analytics tools and the predictive models, but you think they're really focused on the sales conversions. And it sounds like what you're getting at is there's not enough personalization, like with your example. Correct. Just because your name is on an email, it doesn't mean that mm, it's been personalized. Exactly. Jay, do you agree with Eric? Because I I think I could see an angle where one might disagree and say that retailers are swimming in data. They have enough. They're just not using it right. I certainly agree in store. I want to challenge that notion of online. I think we actually do capture too much online. But let me talk in store for a second. You know, it started back in the days where it was simple basket analysis. And it's the reason why men who bought beer would get a coupon for diapers. They knew that that was a highly correlated channel uh, <laughs> and category. So, so retailers that understand these baskets can tailor their offers on return. They now have started, you see most retailers having their own newsletters, loyalty programs. They're doing that because they can start to tie your purchase data to your behavior and then customize offers more. But the big trend now is actually multi-channel, which is leveraging your in-store data to better target you online and vice versa. So I just mentioned the Walgreens across the street. Yeah, I'm going to go and probably buy some chips for the Super Bowl. I guarantee you I get an email with a promo highlighting snack goods shortly after because that's who they think I am. So these loyalty clubs are, are important because it gives retailers the ability to capture more of that data that Eric mentioned we're missing and do things to target you different in both channels, online and in-store. I do want to push back. I think we capture too much data online. I just think of our data. We, we capture everything you do from how you move your mouse to which pages you go on, where you drop off. All that's really interesting, but the challenge is making sense of it. So, you know, at the very basic form, we're looking at quick stream data 
And so we can find the issues and you know, where are the issues on our site and our app and focus on those. But more advanced, as Eric mentioned, the customization is really what matters based off of your prior preferences, what they know about you from other sources. So there's lots of companies out there that let you append your data so that they can know that you know I'm a male between 39 and 49 and I've got children, et cetera. With that, you can actually build really sophisticated targeting models to predict what you want before you even know it. You know, Amazon is the king at this, of course, but others are getting really good. So I think we capture too much online and really the challenge is making sense of it. But there are retailers out there that are doing a, a really sophisticated and, and well-tuned consumer job. Jay, I like what you said, especially about the clickstream data and then how you compared it to taking a step back from where we came in the days of basket analysis and all the way to today where Amazon and other companies are good at predicting what you will buy next. I don't want to dive too deep into the topic of privacy, but with GDPR in Europe and coming over to this side of the pond very soon. What do you guys think about that when it comes to consumers having more control of their data? Is there an element there where it will actually help personalization because then they might opt in and give you more information knowing that they're in control? You know, I I struggle. As a consumer, I fully believe that we should own our data. You know, back in the 80s and 90s, Silicon Valley made products, right? They were making software, hardware, and now consumers are the products. That data is being sold to advertisers to make money. And I, you know, I fundamentally, as a consumer, want control over my data. As a retailer, however, um, I know that that data gives us much better access to targeting. And so I think what we'll start to see is the delineation of capturing data for purposes of selling it and capturing data for purposes of providing a better experience. GDPR, the California Data Privacy Act, don't do a really good job at delineating those two things. And I think for consumers, it will be better off once we do that. Like if I'm just capturing that data internally to target, of course use that. If you're capturing all this data to sell it, then give me control over that. I agree on both points. Our platform was basically built here in Canada. We have uh, the Castle Law that came out. And so the platform was literally built on the law that was about to come out for the privacy. Mm. And that's why I mentioned earlier that if you, instead of kind of reaching out for this information everywhere, if your customer willingly gives you all of this information that you can do in a way more customization, including that opt-in, then you have all the tools that you need to do some really hyper amazing marketing campaigns with. Mm -hmm. But um yeah, I do believe also on a personal side, my data is mine. My son should be anonymous. So all of these things are really important. So I think that will always be a little bit of a struggle moving forward, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it's definitely a push and pull. And, you know, a lot of things have changed over the past year. People are more online. In fact, I know last year at the peak, I think we were up to 25%, at least in the US. And then, you know, it varied near that in Europe. China's been at 25% for a little bit longer in terms of percent of retail purchased through e-commerce. But if you look to 2020 as something we can learn from, a year we can learn from, in what ways do you think that consumer engagement and loyalty have been impacted? So I'll, I'll jump in because I've thought a lot about this, this question this year. And in early 2020, we at Raise decided that we were going to take our technology and build it into a standalone payments app. So Raise is a marketplace where you can buy and sell gift cards, but we also have processing capabilities where we can issue gift cards directly from retailers. And we took that technology and put it into an app called Slide, which for you know, up to 300,000 stores in the US, you basically get a barcode and pay and earn 4% cash back for doing that. 
we did this because we saw what I think will be a big trend moving forward. We saw it last year. It's going to continue this year, which is the convergence of mobile payments and loyalty, using your phone to pay and getting rewarded for doing that. Huge trend. That business, since we launched it in June, has been growing like gangbusters because you know people love to save money and they love to pay with their phone. I think the second trend, which which we I, I didn't think was going to happen um, this fast, certainly. I thought it was going to take five or 10 years is the notion of contactless payments. And you know, obviously with COVID, we see all demographics. And the surprising one is the baby boomers have actually had the highest growth in contactless payments because they're most afraid of touching things. And I think we saw 2020 gave us a huge tipping point for that, where I thought it would take five to 10 years to be totally cashless. I think it will now happen sooner than that. And consumers, once they realize how easy it is, they don't need to worry about their, you know, taking their wallet or, or pulling out a credit card or signing. They literally can hold up their phone and pay. And so, you know, the Apple card was a great example of that last year. Slide now is a great example of that. So I think the two big trends we're going to see this year that we learned in 2020 is the, the convergence of mobile payments and loyalty and the notion of contactless. So I think those are here to stay. Just if I double click a little bit more on the loyalty side, we talked a bit about it in the targeting section. The loyalty, the idea of loyalty is, is quite simply to get customers to come in and get them to buy more. And I think what we're seeing is the now the personalization of loyalty. You used to get 20% site-wide offers and that went to the entire customer base. We're seeing retailers get much more sophisticated where they're looking at usage cohorts, demographics cohorts. They do sophisticated cluster analysis to look to see how to get people to buy more. And with that, they're learning very customized tips and tricks of how to approach each demographic. So instead of 20% site-wide at retailer X, I might get 25% off on a certain category that they know will make me sticky to that brand. And they may send 10 to 20 different varieties of these when they do have a sale because they know that different cohorts engage and interact with promotions differently. So I think what we also saw this year was retailers didn't have as much money to spend, but they needed customers. And so they got really smart with how they approached engagement and loyalty. Jay, those are two excellent trends. I love that you mentioned, you know, not that long ago, if you think about it, it used to be a discount that was site-wide that was sent out to everyone. And now we're getting so advanced and I always love a good cluster analysis. So I'll let Eric, I'll let you jump in. I agree with Jay, especially about the contactless. When we launched seven years ago, I think there was some other type of epidemic that was happening. There was like a swine flu or something that was happening. And at the time, retailers, we were focusing a lot on physical retail. A lot of them were, you know, getting into that whole iPads, you know, to get new subscribers in their database. So everyone had iPads and all these different tools that they had. And so our technology was basically directly on a signage. We could give you your text and number, even program QR code at the time, even NFC stickers. So people can just tap in and register in their database. And so that carried the trend. I think that just kind of compounded it for, you know, during these COVID days, for sure. People that are still asking people to touch a keypad all the time, forget about it, even though I still see, because I come from the payment space as well, I still see people putting covers over their pause terminals. They never clean them, but they, you know, when someone says, are you going to clean it? And they're like, well, no, no, I put a cover on it. I go, but I'm touching the other guy's thing. Like, aren't you going to wipe it down? So the contactless thing is absolutely, absolutely important. Just text in, you get a message back, you've registered and you've collected tons of data, a new opt-in for your merchant Absolutely, absolutely key, especially during these times. I mean, I think we just did for uh, one of our brands, they, they registered like a million people in less than six months. And so that's fantastic. 
And the other thing is, I think something that we've all learned from or we should continue learning, and this is everyone within a retail organization, you know, even if you're someone that's just folding clothes within a store, everyone should kind of start thinking about what an LTV is, what a CAC is, cost of acquisition. I mean, we all need to be ready for another pandemic or disaster-proof our business. So many businesses I know in Canada went belly up because they weren't ready for the next month. They're only thinking of today, 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 Mm -hmm. and they're not thinking about the future. And in getting these contacts into the database, loyalty programs are fantastic because I have you in the database now and I can continue talking with you. Even though my store is closed, we're still open to business for you. I know who you are. You're always welcome. I'm here to serve you. And a lot of people didn't do that. And I think this is one big learning class that a lot of people learned is disaster-proof your your organization. Mm -hmm. And it's hard, right, to be so strategic when you're just trying to keep your head above water. But I think you make a a great point because that will make the difference between the winners and losers. And I will wrap up today's podcast with one question for you guys. And you don't have to answer it. Some people don't like to call out specific retailers. But who do you personally think was someone that really kicked it up a notch and was agile last year? I think I saw two that jumped out just from my email inbox. Obviously, we're going to start to see earnings reports come out in the next month or so, so we can validate this. But I I saw two specifically. The first is actually Costco, which is a big box retailer in the US. I mean, they were out in front. They were one of the first national retailers to require masks. Their cleaning protocols were just second to none. And so they really jumped in front of it and said, we're open for business. We support small businesses. If you actually look at their email marketing too, it's gotten much more customized this year, trying to take advantage of all the trends. Historically, it was just whatever promo dollars they had from partners, they would advertise those. Now they're really getting to be a good experiential marketer. So I think that's one. And I think the second, and we validated this, was Amazon. You know, Amazon was just being Amazon and they execute everything so flawlessly. But between their category mix, how they changed the footprint of their warehouses to be able to supply PPE and paper goods, I think was just, they were so agile. And for two companies of that size to be able to move that quickly was really impressive. I love those picks, Jay, especially on Costco, because I don't think they get enough recognition. Obviously, Amazon is known and loved in most circles. At retailers, it's a different story sometimes, but as a consumer, known and loved. Eric, who are your picks? I think Lowe's did a fantastic job too, at least here in Canada. I Obviously, I can't cross the border. So the Lowe's here, I think, also did a fantastic job. Essential services, I mean, During the summer, everyone had to take care of their house. Like Jay was saying before, there's so much stuff that needed to be done. From what we experienced, they did a fantastic job as well. And Amazon too, not only because they know their customers, their KYC is unbelievable. They know their customers. They know how to advertise to them and they know when to advertise to them. But I think the fact that they're pretty much completely digital and there is no face-to-face help them as well. So they're kind of really, really lucky on that as well. Great picks. You said Lowe's and then also Amazon. Jay Clemenser and Eric Nykamp, it was amazing to have you both on the show today, and I hope to have you on in the future. Yeah, thanks. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. If you would like to be considered as a guest on our show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. For sponsorship opportunities, send us an email at media at rethink.industries. You can help support our team at Rethink Retail by dropping us a rating and review on your iTunes podcast app. To each and every one of you, thanks so much for tuning in. Retail never sleeps. See you next week.